Kia ora and welcome to the Marlborough Book Festival podcast, the place where you can hear writers talk about their work, their lives and the inspiration behind their writing. I'm Sonia, the chair of the committee. The 2023 Marlborough Book Festival was a fantastic weekend and we are looking forward to sharing the recordings with you very soon. For now, enjoy this great session from the 2022 Book Festival. Oh, I can smell lemons. <laughs> Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to this session of the Marlborough Book Festival. I'm Jane Forrest Wakorn and I'm from Astrolab Wines and we're one of the wine sponsors for the festival, one of a group of wineries that choose to support this amazing locally grown festival which gives us the opportunity here in Marlborough to listen to and meet an amazing group of authors and to hear and learn about their works and what they do all brought to us by a beautiful committee. It's a great pleasure of mine to be able to introduce Charlotte Patterson, who is the chair for this um, session. Charlotte is one of the members of the committee, and these people do an amazing lot of work bringing this festival to fruition, especially in these times. Um, She's also a popular yoga teacher and a fabulous home cook, so they say. (laughs) <laughs> so thanks for being here today, Charlotte, and for interviewing Julie. Have a wonderful time. Thank you, Jane. Welcome, everybody. Lovely to see you all. Julie Busso's vibrant cooking career started with training and teaching at the renowned Le Couron Bleu School in London. She has worked as a food editor for many prestigious publications and has been a regular guest on Radio New Zealand for more than 35 years. She is the author of 17 cookbooks, she has won numerous awards, including the Gourmand Best in the World Award for her latest book, She Had Kitchen, which she wrote with her daughter, Ilaria, which we have up there. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it is through her weekly newsletters, her blog posts or her cookbooks, Julie's effervescent personality and her love of life and food leaps off the page. I've been a fan of Julie for many years and it is my great pleasure to welcome her to the Marlborough Book Festival. Thank you. So, Judy, as um, I've been reading your books, obviously as research for this, and particularly um, uh, The Long Italian Lunch, I was, uh, I so loved your writing style. It's very evocative. And I wondered, are you a cook first and then a writer, or is it the other way around? It's the other way around, Charlotte, actually. Um, Writing to me was always something that I could do, um, and particularly little bits of poetry and, you know, the rhyming poems you do when you're six and seven and eight, the little stories. Um, I won a little award in Standard 2, um, ASB, <laughs> little story, 10 shilling prize to go to Whitcomb and Doom, buy a book. Um, so, yes, the writing has um, very much been there, and then it just happened that I could cook. And so those two things then um, seemed to... I didn't know what I was going to do um, at school. Um, I didn't particularly like school. I liked English. I hated maths. Um, And um, languages, that was always good. But I had no idea what what I would do um, as a career. So um, writing and food were just there hanging around 
until a big thing happened that made them collide. And isn't it kind of wonderful that you've got these two passions that you can combine in your life? Yeah, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I was wondering if we could just go back a little bit, quite a long way back. Well, not that long. Oh, my God. Actually, not that long. Not that long at all. <laughs> <laughs> to, whether you could tell me about your childhood memories of food and cooking. Sure. Um, well, I'm the youngest of ten children. Um, and uh, <laughs> I love the stir in the audience. Uh, it kind of meant that there was a lot of food to be cooked. Um, my mother grew fabulous um, flowers. My father did the, the vegetable garden, um, probably out of necessity, but also out of a, a, a passion, something that we've all in, inherited, a love of gardening um, and being able to feed ourselves, really important. Mm. Um, so I didn't realise that we were poor. I had no concept of that at all. Um, but what I did note was that um, being the youngest, I was first home from school, and our house was the first one, closest one to school. And as you came round the corner past our house on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the smell of baking was amazing. Uh, so my mother did all the baking on those two days because sheets were done on the Monday and so on and so forth. Uh, so baking was Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, yes, um, school friends were jealous uh, because I was going home to all this glorious baking. So I think that was just something that, you know, we all imbued, uh, lovely home-cooked food. And, um, yeah, it went kind of from, from there. I had to start taking some responsibility for uh, meal preparation, certainly in picking stuff from the garden, um, but in the meal prep. And then my um, sister nearest me, um, in age, we would do Sunday night supper. Uh, which oh, may have just Sunday been toasted night, sandwiches. Um, but it was because you had the big roast on the Sunday, as many of you will, will recall, and so it was, you know, leftover cold meat. But, but it just was taking that little bit of responsibility, and that, that's probably I wanted to be a little better than her and she wanted to be a little better than me, and away we went. <laughs> what was it like sitting down at your table with that many people? Um, if our father wasn't home, it was very noisy. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot of thieving off each other's plates. Um, you never got up from the table and left roast potatoes on, on, on your plate with brothers like mine, five girls, five boys. Um, so, uh, yes, very noisy, a lot of fun. If my father was there, the mood changed um, and there was no talking at the table. Really? Um, nope, that's how it was back in, back in the day. No talk. Well, you can imagine with ten kids all talking at once and having their bread and moving food from their main plate onto the, the piece of bread. You weren't allowed to do that. You had to keep all your food on one plate. It was really quite strict. Maybe that was bad. I don't know. But what I learnt from that is tuck your elbows in and how to hold cutlery, and that stood me in very good stead. <laughs> <laughs> And Julie, you, you left home at the tender age of 16, which is really very young. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting when I reflect on that because he's, or was, <laughs> my daughter. Oh. She's disappeared. Um, uh, and she's not here actually because um, she's five months pregnant. She's having a baby in October uh, and it's our first grandchild and it's kind of, that's all very exciting. Um, but anyway, um, uh, that's a little digression because I think if she had left home at 16, uh, it would have been very different. But it was a different world. Um, and when you grow up the youngest in a big family, um, you kind of have to look after yourself 
quite a bit. You don't have a lot of one-on-one -on -one with your mum and dad because they're too busy doing all the stuff to make this huge house turn over and, and provide for, for all the children. Um, so you do have to, to um, learn a lot of things. Writing was very good for me because that was something that I could do as a solitary thing, um, and it became a friend, um, and that's all my life that has, has been the case. So um, uh, I, I did um, a French uh, class in intermediate school, and uh, we had a really wonderful French teacher who, it was a little bit about um, learning the language, um, but it was also a lot about the culture. And the way she described, she had some um, pictures of French cheese, and it was like all the stuff like running and oozing and, and mysterious, and it was just like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that. And look at that loaf of bread. And, um, you know, I, I just got so um, excited by it, and I really wanted to go to France and meet a, you know, man riding a bike with a baguette and his, you know, and the beret, and <laughs> the, I just wanted that, you know, at, at 11 years old, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to make it happen. Um, so how did I achieve that, um, coming not from a, um, a very well-off family? Well, I started working um, as soon as I could from about 12 or 13. Uh, I worked in um, restaurants, not um, cooking at all at that age, but, um, you know, doing dishes, uh, waiting on tables. Um, some of you will maybe know of the Taitung restaurant in Auckland, Chinese restaurant, one of the first big one. It was huge. Uh, that was pretty incredible for me um, at 13. It was very scary. I had a long bus ride into the city to get to it. Um, and uh, the first day I went there with these giant big woks in the kitchen and the smell of ginger, garlic mm. and chilies coming out of those woks. And I'd, I'd never smelt anything like that in my own home. And I just went, oh, electrified, absolutely electrified. So food just was this big big thing. So I, I saved and saved and saved. And meanwhile, I got my dad at the very right moment who read every word of the newspaper uh, religiously. Um, and I'd wait until he was about, you know, on page four or five. If he went, when he's still on page one, you wouldn't get a look in. So you wait until he's into it a bit and he's relaxed and he's got his cup of tea and a smoke. <clears throat> um, and um, I just went, Dad, um, I, I wonder if you could sign this form for me. And he looked over the paper and he looked at the form and, oh, it's a form for a passport. Uh, so I'd managed to get the form sent from Wellington uh, to me and he looked at me, steely blue eyes, and he just pierced right through me. Put the paper down and signed the form. <laughs> I was 16. And years later he said, I knew, one, you could look after yourself. I was already proving that I could. I'd done all these jobs. I'd saved a lot of money uh, to go away. Um, and he thought, if he tried to stop me, I was going to go anyway. So I should go with a blessing. And I thank him for that because it was really quite amazing. So um, off I went to the States and Canada and got arrested for legal hitchhiking and various other things. Nearly got put in a rabbit stew. I uh, had to run away from a mad painter. Um, but it was all um, extraordinary stuff. Had my first... Um, uh, garlic bread, no one had had garlic bread back in the day. Um, it was just all part of learning and evolving um, and taking care of myself. There was um, no one else that, you know, you didn't have cell phones or, Mum, come pick me up. Um, but it was pretty amazing and from there I went to London and that's um, 
was some of the worst times, but um, uh, because of loneliness and being in such grotty, dreadful little flats and trains rattling past and loneliness and um, no money, no, you know, eating uh, crappy, crappy food. Yes, you weren't eating garlic bread and ginger and chilli at that point. No, not at that point. And London had a, um, not a good reputation no. for, for food back in the, the early 70s, so you can work out how old I am. Um, I started my career when I was three. <laughs> I don't care, you know, how old I am. You can work it out, add it up. Um, so from from there, London, okay, I got over that hump of it. Um, and then towards the end of two and a half years living there, I started to hear about the Cordon Bleu School. And I just thought, wow, imagine going there. Imagine. I'll do it. Why was the Cordon Bleu School so renowned? Um, it was originally um, French uh, school, but two uh, women in the 1940s um, opened it in London, Marylebone Lane. And it became actually a finishing school for well-off um, young ladies. Um, and they learnt how to, to cook um, high-end uh, dinner party food, really, um, and how to serve and how to... The, the glassware and all that kind of thing. That, that was the start of it because these two women, um, Muriel Downs and Rosemary Hume, um, um, they um, pre uh, prepared the, the flowers for, for the Queen. Um, Rosemary Hume um, created coronation chicken for the Queen. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. So huge uh, history there, just, just amazing. New Zealand just had nothing, um, no training at all. Um, and I didn't want to train to be a chef because um, I was explaining to Charlotte um, yesterday, I've never wanted to work in a restaurant with a menu that you cook day in and day out. I'd go crazy cooking the same thing. Hats off to chefs who can do that. I, I can't. I've got to have change all the time to stay stimulated. So chef was never going to be good for me. So the Cordon Bleu School, I heard about it, came back home because I wanted to see my mum uh, and um, thought, right, I'm going to apply to London, um, to the school, uh, so I wrote to them, um, and I said, because I'm coming so far from New Zealand, do you think that I could be put in, because there was an 18-month, two-year waiting list, do you think I could kind of get ahead in the queue a wee bit? Um, and however I worded that, I got this very formal letter back from um, um, uh, Rosemary Hume, uh, from Muriel Downs, rather, saying, well, I think we can do that, but you will still have to pass the personal interview when you get to London. In other words, I've still got to get myself there, but I thought, worth it. So second time back on an Italian boat. Woohoo! Six weeks for the Italians! <laughs> so that was when you first landed in, in Genoa? Genoa, yeah, or yeah. Geneva um, to the Italians. So that was 1975. Um, so... Uh, I was going to go to Mexico, and that would have been a very different s story to my life had I done that. Um, but the girl I was going to go with um, uh, got pregnant, and I should just actually digress a wee bit back, if, if, if I may. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to leave home was um, I had four sisters. Uh, one didn't have children because she married um, a man who had a vasectomy at 21 because... His mother had severe Parkinson's and it goes every, misses a generation not so um, fierce and then he would have 
um, uh, passed it on to his children. So he made that extraordinary decision way, way, way back then. So she knew she'd never have children. But she'd been the eldest, so she'd been like a mini-mother. Terrible position. We had very mm. different lives. <laughs> um, perhaps I did get kind of in some ways lucky, lucky last, I don't know, hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs. That was all right. I didn't know they were. Um, but just a different in, in um, where you fall in a family. So that's the oldest child. And then the next three girls were all pregnant and married um, before they were 20. And there was no way, no way I was going to do that. So getting away out of New Zealand and, and getting on my road to whatever, wherever it was going was part of the reason of wanting to, to, to leave home. Um, and not not get trapped. So that yeah. Was and that. so in that first in seventy five is that when you met your future husband? Yeah, kind of. I'm um, not on the boat, um, but uh, so when that Mexico th- trip fell through, I thought, what now? Went over to Australia and worked in Hayman Island for a few months um, with this um, very um, unfriendly large uh, German woman who was really very, uh, she was a bully, um, but anyway we hadn't, I just. <laughs> was she, were you cooking at this point? In no, no, I was waitressing, um, but we used to have to dress up, we had dress up nights, and guess what they were, one night was French, um, and this was a fishnet tights and um, silky black um, short skirt, etc, another night was dress up as a bunny, Oh my gosh. bunny girl, yep. That was a black tights, little leotard, and a bunny in ears. <laughs> How dare they have done that to That's us? That's awful. But we, did we get, did it. Did you get good tips? Oh, we got brilliant tips. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Silver lining, I suppose. Yeah, so on the, on the boat, um, uh, I was the last passenger to board because that day with my friends um, in um, a place that's very, very uh, trendy now, Ponsonby, you all have heard of it in Auckland. Uh, it wasn't uh, so um, uh, fancy then, but it was a great place to live. Um, and that day I cooked a fillet of beef, <laughs> beef Wellington, um, wrapped in pastry for my friends, and we ate and drank red wine. It was just amazing. Um, all my bags were packed. Anyway, it came time to get to, to obviously, downtown to the um, get on the boat. Um, so I actually made getting on the boat um, within half an hour but the gangplank, they had started to draw it in. How absolutely embarrassing. So I get in there, I'm a little bit um, tipsy. Oh, that reminds me. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, Estrelaide. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so get on the boat, and then we do the throwing of the rolls of toilet paper. You know that tradition. If you're young, you may not. Um, so you throw, the, like a streamer, you throw the roll of toilet paper, you've held on to the end and you unravel it as the boat pulls out until the toilet paper snaps and that's the parting huh. with your family. It's terribly sad and sad and now is the hour is playing and everyone's weeping. Anyway, I wasn't weeping. I suddenly thought, holy smoke, where have I put my bag? Where are my bags? All of a sudden over the <laughs> loudspeaker, could Julie Gallagher, Irish, please come to the captain's. <gasps> so I got called up. Um, to the captain's office and severely told off uh, for leaving an unattended bag. Um, and, um, you know, I had to promise to, <laughs> to be a good girl going forward for six weeks. <laughs> Did you manage it? What do 
you think, Charlotte? <laughs> I don't I, like to say, Julie. I fell <laughs> in love on with, the with every Italian on that boat. It was a mad time. They loved the New Zealand girls and the Australian girls. You'd be walking down a narrow passage and they would block the whole passage. So you had no opportunity to, to get past without rubbing bodies. They had it all worked out. Anyway, it was hilarious. It was great fun. Shocking food. The wine was made from dehydrated something, grapes. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, everyone had a ball. That was great. And then I ended up um, in Geneva, Italy. And I looked up at this magnificent city. What a city to sail into with all those beautiful 16th century and older um, uh, palazzi buildings. And I just went, oh, God, this is like a, like a, a, a dream. Um, of course, I got off the, the ship and I thought, well, where to now? No hotel booked or no plans. Um, but um, all these Italians were just like running around and hands going. And, and I just thought, this is like theatre. It's so incredible. And from the moment that foot went on that ground in Italy, I was in love with Italy. And that was the start of a very long affair with Italy um, and all things Italian. Uh, and some time later, I met my husband-to-be. Do you think you could um, tell us a little bit about... So, and, and what a joy to be able to not just, you know, view Italy from the perspective of a, a, a tourist, but to then be brought into the, a family and yeah. be able to, you know, sit down at their table. Can you tell us a bit? Because your mother-in-law sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I was, just was very normal. lucky with, with that, Charlotte, because um, so I, I met Rema, um and we fell in love, as you do, um, and he lived two apartments up from his family home um, apartment, um, which was convenient because then you'd just go down for these meals. Anyway, he kept me a secret for about, um, I don't know, about eight weeks or so, um, until one day on the street, dong, dong, we meet the mother. <laughs> was she formidable? Uh, well, the Sicilian. Um, <laughs> so, just a tad, just a tad. I'm glad she wasn't tall. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that, yeah. that would have been even <laughs> scarier. Um, but she was um, uh, really friendly and they just wanted me to come mm. to their house and meet me. I was forever the straniera, the stranger, the foreigner. Um, that took a long time to, to go. Um, and they found me exotic and unusual. Isn't and, that nice? I mean, for a Kiwi, I mean, <laughs> you know, holy cow, it was like, what? Yeah. But it was quite lovely. Also, yes, could um, you say that again? <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful accent. <laughs> also, I was of reasonable height in Italy because <laughs> a lot of them are quite short. Um, so there were pluses. Uh, so anyway, his mother, um, uh, all of them, um, Sicilian, father too. Um, um, and Sicilian cooking is, um, it's just amazing because Sicily has had so many... Um, you know, uh, takeovers and, and um, such history. Um, and the gastronomy has, has been embellished and added to over the centuries. So there's just many things. You'll get um, the citrus fruit, which is um, extraordinary. You'll, you'll get the pine nuts. You'll get um, the honey. 
um, you'll get saffron, you'll get um, uh, strong cheeses um, and anchovies, and sometimes a whole lot is in one dish. And it's just like extraordinary. Um, so she was a really great cook, mm. um, and she taught me not to be afraid of frying, which sounds a bit weird, but most people, when they fry, they don't really want to fry because they don't want to get splattered. They don't want to have to clean up after, uh, and they're a little bit of uh, afraid of the hissing and spitting. So um, she just pan on, oil in, maximum heat, and fry. And that's how you get crispy crunch. That's how you get burnished, gorgeous, golden eggplant with a crackling edge, high heat. Um, so, yeah, I learned um, not to worry about all the splattering on the tiles because I didn't have to clean up after. So that was quite fun. So that must have been where you got that sort of basis for your love of Italian cuisine and, and learning how to cook it. Um, yes, I mean, in, in between that, of course, I had gone over to London, done the first Cordon Bleu um, uh, course, um, and, which I did successfully, um, and loved it. It was mm. just like mentally, um, you know, really um, very stimulating. Uh, and I thought to myself, um, uh, you know, I would like to, to do more of that, but I didn't quite know what shape or form that would take. But I had met Remo. We had fallen in love. So straight after um, the Cordon Bleu school, I went back to Italy to him. And there he was, and so there I, I stayed for a, a couple of years, and um, that's where I really got into Italian food. Um, and while I was there, um, I thought, you know, I've, I've sort of got to, um, I've got to work, you know, what can I do? Um, and I was learning Italian and, and learning how to count in Italian. That was the most important thing, the first thing. Um, and so um, um, I thought, you know what, I'll ring the, the um, English consul. Because you used to do things like that back in the day um, and, and see if they need someone to cook. Oh, blow me down, come and have a chat. On the bus I go, <laughs> over to the consulate, knock, knock, let me in. There's the um, lovely um, um, consul's wife. And, oh, you know, you're from New Zealand and we love New Zealanders. And, well, you know, would you like to come and... You've done the cordon bleu in Maryland. Oh, would you like to come and cook? So I started cooking for the... Um, uh, the British Consul, um, and that was fantastic. So talking about a little disaster, oh, my God. So they had a set of 50 um, fine bone china plates and dishes of every sort. You can imagine this double door kind of thingy, rimmed with gold. I should have realised. Anyway, um, the, the oven had, um, you know, like the English ones which were popular at the time, they had the, the um, gas thing up above that you could put cheese on toast under the grill. Um, anyway, who put the dinner plates there to warm? <gasps> Suddenly there was a cracking sound. Uh, anyway, um, yes, I'd, I broke ten, but it was only a dinner for ten, so another ten in the cupboard, so it was all right. <laughs> oh, they had 50 or whatever, it was fine. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kate DeGoldie. I'm a writer and a publisher and a reader. Awesome. And what do you think of our Marlborough Book Festival? Well, it's one of the great festivals in the Southern Hemisphere because it is so carefully thought through. It has superb content, very 
carefully curated collection of writers and presenters. And then it looks after everyone at the festival, writers and the participants and the audiences so beautifully. Wine is very present, which is of course wonderful, but um, everyone stays in the most beautiful surroundings and are looked after, every need is looked after. And then there's just the communion of writers and, and the communion of writers with their audiences. I've had such good conversations with people after um, various um, presentations, so it's, um, it's, it's an absolutely top happening for me, yeah. So you didn't stay though in Italy. You did eventually get married, but you you um, you came back to New Zealand and then remote yeah. followed you. So you did the second course as well, the advanced course at the Cordon Bleu, didn't you as well? Yes. So yeah. so I knew that I couldn't actually live forever in Italy as much as I loved it. And I'll just give you one example why. So my two who would become my two um, sisters-in-law, um, oh, three of them actually. They didn't drive. Hmm? As simple as that. They had to be driven everywhere by their husbands. Every time they wanted to go shopping, every time they wanted something, every time they had to pay a bill um, or else on a bicycle. Uh, And so it was a very different society there in the late 1970s. And I thought, little old me, I I, I mean, I just knew I'd explode and go... um, um, crazy. I, I couldn't live in that kind of society. No, you'd sort of left anyway to not be the person who was at home with the children. And... <laughs> Definitely not. At that stage, I still didn't think I wanted children because of all the stuff that had happened with um, with, with my sisters and seeing them all um, hemmed in and no careers. But but anyway, so I came back to New Zealand and Ramo and I had to agree to... to um, get married for him to be able to come to New Zealand. It was a bit trickier in those days. So that we did and uh, agree. And yes, we got married in the garden of the place that we were um, uh, renting. And um, yeah, time went on and I thought, I want to do another Cordon Bleu course. Shall I say how that comes up or have you got a question? No, go for it. Because I'm, I'm, I just am no, you talking, just go. sorry. <laughs> just go. Am I talking too much, Oh, God, no, you're the person meant to be. <laughs> Not me. Because, I mean, you like food too. We could talk about what no. you cooked last night. God, no, that's not. <laughs> oh, let's all right. Let's not then. do that. No. <laughs> um, anyway, I get a phone call one day, and it is the daughter of the British um, uh, consul's wife saying, um, and I'd met her in Geneva at one of the big dinners there, said, we're coming to New Zealand, and we are going to get the franchise to the Cordon Bleu School and set up in Auckland, and we'd like to talk to you about it. <gasps> Uh, so over we went for um, a seven-hour lunch. Um, by the end of that lunch, they said, would you like to go back to London to uh, train as a Cordon Bleu teacher and come back as our um, head of the school? Oh, um, oh all right then. Uh, <laughs> and did you really I mean, enjoy that? Sorry? Did you really enjoy teaching? Oh, was it something you'd thought oh, about? Oh, teaching I've done um, uh, ever since then. I absolutely love it. And I love it because... It's helping people, and it's because um, my main thing is I, I want to encourage people to keep on cooking from scratch because I want you to eat good food. I don't want us to buy um, uh, adulterated food. Um, I know we need shortcuts, but but um, good food brings your family in, 
it's such an um, inclusive, wonderful sharing thing. And so that's all part of my, you know, being the youngest of 10 and all that kind of thing. So teaching is my way of keeping people interested, inspired, have a go. I'll try and make it as easy as I can for you in the recipe, put in as much detail and many tips as I can to make it easy. So teaching is, is um, uh, just part of it. So off I went to London and um, did um, trained under one of the founders, Muriel Downs. Um, I had to choose all the equipment. Um, there was no internet or anything like that. Had to take little photographs, trace out things on bits of paper and post it back to, to New Zealand. It was, it was extraordinary. I really, really mm. loved it. Um, yeah, it's good. Um, you did that for a couple of years, but then you actually started your own cooking school. The yes, because once I taught that um, uh, syllabus a couple of times and I was bored, um, because you're teaching the same thing. And so I just, they asked me if I wanted to be a director of the school and took me to number five restaurant and expected me to dance on the table. And I didn't. I just got a sinking feeling, um, don't go for it, um, which is, they were in disbelief. Um, I was 28. It was a top food job in New Zealand, and I, um, I was walking away from it and walking from a free directorship in Le Cordon Bleu. Um, but it's what I had to do because I knew that the love of Italian food was very different to how I felt about French food, which is Le Cordon Bleu, um, and that I had to go out and, and beat my own drum. So I set up my um, cooking school at Dolce Vita, which I ran for four years, and that started then my career writing for magazines, for More magazine for 13 years, uh, later on for Cuisine for 17, Viva and the Herald for five Taste Magazine for 10, Your Home and Garden for um, 11, 12, whatever, and radio for, as you said, 35 years. Because <laughs> I told you I started at three. <laughs> Julie, when I was researching, she sent me her bio, and uh, I just sort of clicked, printed off, and when you got up the printer, and it was nine pages long, single spacing. It was absolutely phenomenal. What I meant Julie to send the reduced version. <laughs> no, it was great. What Julie has done... I, yeah, I just even now and again had to put my pen down and rest just thinking about it, frankly. But um, and one of the things that you talked about in there was um, you worked as a consultant for Air New Zealand. And I thought, well, that must yeah. be quite different from anything that you'd done. Yes, it was, but, but it comes back to that training. So is training valuable? It's incredible. It has been my absolute foundation stone for everything I have done. So in that little, um, in the, the Cordon Bleu School, in that kitchen, we had... Um, from the lamp to here, um, no wider than there, and eight people cooking. Mm. You had a bench space that big, and everything was in place. Um, it was horrendous the very first day, like banging into each other and thinking, mm, mm, um, and all that kind of thing. But what that taught you was to be really tidy, really efficient, um, and, and very clean, no mess. Um, so... Uh, in New Zealand, um, I was asked if I would help write the menus, which, oh, what a gorgeous job that was, and to, to uh, match wines with them. Um, as most of us know now, um, food um, changes in, in flavour and wine as well um, when you're flying. Um, so with food, it's numbed, so you need a little more salt, a little more acid, uh, a bit more of, of the tasty bits to 
to, to make it shine. Um, so we worked on developing recipes and then the big chef would take them away and, and execute them and then we'd do a tasting and makes the grade, doesn't make the grade, um, plan how they were going to fit into this big schedule on these huge pages of all the flights and all the numbers and it was this was before computerizing um and it was terrific and one day as as a learning thing they said right we're going to put you in the commercial kitchen I thought oh okay um and so I was wrapped up um in plastic (laughs) from toe to head everything bar my eyebrows was scraped up into a um, um a net um plastic everywhere big gloves and big white um, uh, like waders um, on my feet, so you kind of all you can do is like that. Um, it was it was really weird. And we go into this big commercial kitchen, and there's huge pots, and um, uh, the chefs just drop the pot. They don't put things gently. So the noise, you know that 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 sound. It was absolutely scary, and like I couldn't think. And then every hour they'd come round with this huge. Um, um, Blast, blasting water hose thing. So that's why you have the big waders on. <laughs> so this was, you know, like the, any scraps on the floor. There's Julie Beauta. And I, I, you know, I thought, God, oh, I might go down the plug hole with all this stuff. You sort of were a long way away from Cordon Bleu at that stage. Oh, if yeah. only Muriel and Rosemary could have seen you then. It was a good look. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it, though. <laughs> um, you've been a regular guest on national radio for more than 35 years since you were three, and most recently with Jesse Mulligan. And I know this yeah. is something that's very important to you and you're passionate about. Tell us about your first radio interview. Oh, gee, well, that wasn't so good. That was for the Cordon Bleu School to announce its opening. And they sent out um, this lovely gentleman, Rod Cadman, who actually was more the Constance Spry florist kind of part of the business. But anyway, out he came, and we were to be on radio together, and he was to have the you know perfect British accent, and he was either you know young star kind of thing. Um, and he turned into this absolutely um, shaking leaf. Well, in, in the shower that morning, I thought... I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to talk on radio. I'll just, I, it'll be intelligible. I, <gasps> and I thought, just breathe and just think, what am I going to feel like? And this is the biggest tip you can ever give anyone. How are you going to feel once it's done? You're going to feel such relief. So you bring that relief forward and just think, oh, I feel quite relaxed, actually. Um, but you still got to do it. But it stops you getting the real big nerves. Anyway, I saw he was like, um, and sweating, and, and I thought, oh, God, I was hoping he was going to carry the interview. And suddenly I had to step up and do it. Um, and, and that was with Jeff. Um, Jeff. <coughs> I just can't remember his last name. That's uh, <laughs> fine. Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Um, nice Jeff. Um, very well-known, big name at the time. Um, so that was, that was tricky. And TV was likewise um, as, um, you know... Um, mm nauseous, making... Um, well, even worse sort of TV. Worse. Um, it was shot as live, which means that you carry it through <laughs> as live, but it's not being broadcast live. Um, and that was terrible. I was going to be doing these muscles, and I had it all planned that we'd open a little muscle and there was a wee crab inside and the beard, and I'd show you how to remove them. And that was, you know, quite visual. Anyway, I was on with um, someone... Um, <laughs> Some other person. Yeah, some other um, famous person. And he introduced me, and he fluffed his lines. I, at this stage, was about to vomit. I was about to faint. I was going to run out the door. 
and he fluffed his lines. And I went, oh, thank God if he can fluff his lines. And they say, roll again, starting again. And off I went. His little muscle. Oh, look, there's a baby crab inside. Make sure you take out the little crustaceans and the bed. And, and, that the, was and a star was born. Well, I never got afraid of television again. <laughs> Julie, let's talk about, we could talk about so many things because you've had such an amazing life, but let's talk about Shared Kitchen, uh, the blog and the cookbook. So I just want to let people know, so this uh, the fabulous website and blog, Shared Kitchen, Real Food from Scratch. So in 2015, it won the Best Food Website in New Zealand by Gourmand. In 2016, got second in the world in the Best Food Website at Gourmand. Then in 2021, it won the Best in the World Blogger category in the Gourmand Cookbook Awards. That's incredibly impressive. Okay. So um, what was the vision that you and Ilaria had, your daughter Ilaria had, when you created this? Uh, well, I had um, just up to that point, had 33 years as a food editor. And I thought, if I have to do another bloody Christmas ham, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'd got to the point where I really felt that I'd contributed enough to magazines. And um, I'd been meaning to do um, a better website um, and all that kind of thing. And I thought, wow, what kind of freedom just to be able to write without the editor's pencil going through, without being told to do, would you mind just to do a Christmas ham again this year? Or a turkey, you know, um, that I could do what I liked. Mm. And I just thought at that stage of my career, that's what I wanted to do. I talked about it with, with Ilaria and she said, oh, I want to be in, I'm part of that. So um, we sort of teamed up together and um, coming up with the name was a family thing. We sat around with, with Pad and my son was there, who's, who's quite mad and some of the names are certainly not... Um, words that I can repeat, and it's very fine uh, <laughs> theatre, um, but it was really funny. And actually, um, the essence is sharing, sharing what we know, sharing the knowledge, hugely, hugely important, sharing with my daughter, sharing with my son, sharing beyond that, uh, the kitchen, the kitchen table, bringing people back to eating together. So the name um, Shared Kitchen um, came really easily and also then Ilaria and I did share kitchens so it all kind of made sense and and then we were kind of off she she started her travels and she'd contribute something from overseas um now she does the Instagram and and um other things in the background um but yeah it was really just to um keep on encouraging people to to mm. cook by making yummy food photographing it so I do all the photography myself now um, and um, it's, it, it is quite a big part of my week doing all of that, but I love it, and I feel that it's useful. It's amazing. When I was, you know, going through the website researching, and I would just, I'd look up, and it would be like sort of 45 minutes later, and I'd just gone down. There's so much interesting information. Down the little there. rabbit hole of Shared Kitchen. <laughs> I had gone down the rabbit hole of Shared Kitchen, yeah. but not just the recipes, but, you know, things like the kitchen things I like. You know, and I thought, oh yes, I need one of those. And um, <laughs> and your weights and measurements. I mean, it, yeah, it's like it is a lot of depth it's in there. It's the next best thing to having Julie Busio in your kitchen. Yeah, you know, um, I do do a weekly newsletter, um, um, which is free to subscribe, and um, that drops into your inbox and its recipes and foodie chat and and tips. And um, I don't really have a big following down um, in this part of New Zealand, which. Um, it was quite interesting because we've yeah. had um, a really good turnout for 
today. So maybe it's that you don't know about it, um, uh, but it's it's very easy to subscribe. Or if you have an issue with that, I can help you with it because it's quite simple to do. And it's fabulous. And um, the Shared Kitchen Cookbook is your 17th book. Yep. Why is it so special to you? Uh, because I did it with my daughter. So... Um, uh, and my son is featured in there too, and he has a couple of recipes. Um, so it's kind of our little family Bible, which is really, it's really lovely. And, and so many good um, midweek meal recipes, and that's, that's the thing. They're not fancy chef recipes that you look at and think are nice, but you never cook. These are, you know, the best way to, to um, cook a jacket potato. I mean, how do you get that skin that it just crack when you open that with a knife? What is the best macaroni, cheese, cottage pie, whatever? How do you cook all these things to perfection? So there's a lot of tips and information. So, um, yeah, that's, that's it to keep people cooking midweek meals. Well, it's fabulous because I've been cooking from it a lot. Our committee is very happy with me <laughs> cooking for it. Um, and the recipe notes are amazing. Yeah. You know, you've got fabulous information in the recipe notes. Thank you. Yeah. It's important, I think, to, that a recipe is not bald, just the, the formula and um, your method. I think you need a bit of a story or you need um, some information on um, ingredients which perhaps you might not be familiar with to help you understand that or to understand methods and various things. Yeah. Well, it's, it's wonderful. So we're getting close to question time, but before we do, um, you live on Waiheke Island now. I do. Waiheke Island. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, you are also a poet. Yes. And uh, on Waiheke, you co-run a monthly song and poetry thing. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that and then you can yeah. maybe read us a poem? Um, so some of you will know Selena Tusitala-Marsh, mm. um, a fantastic poet. So she lived on Waiheke for a long time. Um, I split from my husband, Rama, about seven years ago because my dream was always um, to live on Waiheke and I'd be a little old lady with a bun um, and um, a poet writing away. Um, it's sort of some of those bits have come true. Um, uh, but anyway, um, uh, I'd heard that there was going to be a gathering of poets at a winery, and along I went, and she was there. And if you've ever seen her, she's mm. physically quite a magnificent um, uh, person. And um, she said, are you going to read? And went, <laughs> you know, wanting to escape. And she said, you must this is your chance. You had to stand on a damn wine barrel. I'm, I'm actually um, quite afraid of heights. I'm not good. I have to <laughs> watch that. Um, anyway, she said, look, take your shoes off. Well, she made me get up and read. And thank you, Selena. Uh, so I read. Um, and that was the start of it. Then um, I went to regular poetry meetings. Uh, and then I became a co-organiser um, of the song and poetry thing, I run it with um, Katie Soljack, who's a musician uh, and artist, and the two of us um, bring people together once a month, um, original material, sing, play, read. Uh, and honest to God, you just never know who is going to turn up, five-minute slot. Um, we had a man last month who had his um, singing bowl, oh. a singing bowl. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> everyone's well, welcome. <laughs> Julie, how about you read us your poem that you oh. have written? Okay. All right. So I sort of change now. I morph into a poet, <laughs> which is um, a bit of a strange one. Um, I don't uh, very often write about food. 
In fact, um, not a lot, but I do have a foodie poem, so I thought I could read this. <laughs> it's called Carbs, Fat and Salt. So I came home the other night, fizzing with cold, half-starved, gnawing my gums, and I knew there was a saviour waiting for me in the pantry. Oh, so you don't know about the chippy sandwich? The best kind of sandwich. White bread, sourdough bread if you want to be fancy, but it's got to be soft. So it's a pillow for crunch. Slather it with butter. We're all going to hell anyway. Stuff it full of salted crisps. You choose the brand, it makes little difference. Carbs, fat and salt. I could have cooked an egg, stuck it between bread, but I couldn't wait. And the cat was playing soccer with a walnut and the noise was spinning me out. Carbs, fat and salt, that's all I needed, all I wanted, and that's what I got. <laughs> A bit of madness. <laughs> Thank you. That was fabulous. Uh, question time. Who, who had this one in the middle there? Uh, you, you've spoken so, so much about your life and it sounds so interesting. Uh, besides a cookbook, have you thought about writing a book about your life? Memoir? Well, actually I have um, a semi-autobiographical book called Dancing on My Table. That came out in 2001 and won the Gourmand World Literature Award. And the title, Dancing on My Table, referred to being offered the Cordon Bleu directorship when they expected me to dance on the table. <laughs> um, so, yes, I have done that, but I do have some other um, plans. Thank you. Oh, there's one down here in the front. I've just noticed in your, I've just had a, bought your book last night actually, and you signed it up for us, thank you. And I noticed just quickly going through it, there's a lot of vegetarian type dishes, and, and I'm just wondering if this is part of, to do with trends at the moment, they're getting away a bit from meat and getting more into vegetables and utilising those. More. How much do you follow trends in what you cook and prepare and show us? Um, well, that's quite an interesting question because um, I have actually written two vegetable books. Um, both of them were award winners. One was a Goodman Fielder Watties um, uh, book award in the lifestyle section. Um, that was a little, um, um, you know, paper, what do you call it? Paperback book, no photography. Um, uh, and then the other one was Fresh, mm. um, which did have um, uh, photography. I put most definitely more vegetable recipes in print than meat, chicken, fish, whatever. Uh, I am a huge vegetable fan. These days, though, it's called plant-based, and I'll be buggered if I'm going to suddenly turn what I've been doing for 40-odd for years into plant-based cookery. Is this regenerative cooking? <laughs> Key word. Yeah. I, I think it's just a love of, of vegetables. I totally believe in a balanced diet. My father lived till he was 99. He still grew his carrots and beans until he was 97. We had to give him a bit of a hand with them. Um, but I think that speaks volumes to me, growing your own food and vegetables. Yeah. Any other questions? Well, I've got some. Oh. 
There's another one over, oh, there's another one over there. Over there. <laughs> I'm just quite interested in, um, at the moment, I've got a daughter who's developed a total allergy to dairy. And is that a sort of a growing trend in New Zealand, that more people are going to dairy intolerance and wanting those kind of recipes? Or not? Um, I, th I think it is becoming more um, more common. I didn't quite hear the, the end of that oh. question. Well, is, that, is that becoming more of a trend to have more dairy... Dairy-free. Um, ..sort of food cooking in New Zealand? I'd say... I'm really quite surprised because, I mean, I, I was brought up in the Waikato and the, my father was a dairy factory manager. We had all the cream and butter wherever. And it seems the more people I talk to, the more people have this, like, for some reason. I don't know why. But, yeah, is it a trend or...? Well, I think food intolerances um, mm. are on the rise, mm. unfortunately, um, for whatever reasons. Yeah. Um, uh, so what can you do about that... Uh, I mean, there are, um, you know, so many gorgeous cheeses. I couldn't live without Parmesan cheese. Um, but um, when you've got someone who seriously can't eat any of those things, you, you do need to look at um, uh, substitutions. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty easy to ditch the butter and cook with extra virgin olive oil and, and, and beautiful oils. Um, I think that's, that's quite an easy one. Um, Yoghurt, for me, would be very hard to give up. Uh, I love Middle Eastern food, and I love yogurt being a carrier for for flavour. So, but but then there's all the coconut um, uh, products. But you know, I'm, I'm not sure that we're meant to eat as much coconut stuff as we are probably all eating. But mm. that's you, you will just have to investigate all those things to to um, aid your daughter, as I'm sure she will be. Yes. There's so much information now about it. Yes. No, I just wondered whether you might like to get into that vegan. No, no. no. Oh, I see. Oh. Body language is everything. Um, no, not at all. Um, I am uh, absolutely um, believe, as I say, in a, um, everything in moderation. Um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Big amount of vegetables. Um, so... Uh, I don't want to go down the um, uh, gluten-free um, route. I don't need to for myself, and there are people who are experts at it, same as there are plenty of um, vegans um, who are producing very good recipes, and, and that could be a port of call. But you can flick to um, websites like mine because there's a huge vegetable content. Yep. We have one up here. Oh, kia ora. Kia ora, Julie. Hi. Um, I was really pleased to hear you say that the one of the driving forces of your website and your book is to just encourage that, you know, creation of food from scratch. Um, and as a father of two teenage daughters, I think I do a reasonable job of that, but um, not always, you know. Sometimes it's just hard to, I don't know, to, well, to be honest, sometimes to, to surrender the control in the kitchen, you <laughs> yeah. know, because bloody hell, the mess is something else But and all of that. Yeah. But I wonder, do you have any... I don't know, any tips or any thoughts on what we as parents can do just to keep our children in the kitchen and learning that love of food, um, you know, just for their whole well-being as much as anything, yeah. Yeah, um, well, so it sounds like you, your children do have some involvement in cooking, yeah, which is, which is really... They do already, for sure, but just wanting to know how I keep that running and what you think is the best way to keep 
teenagers involved in in the kitchen, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think it it's a bit hard because you're, you know, you we're all watching our budget these days with the cost of food, um, and so uh, I think there are, there are a few things like um, um, and getting tired of cooking day in and day out. Sometimes you do just need a break, um, but you've got to think if you get something ready made, it's thirty bucks, um, and could you have made omelets? Um, for seven or eight dollars, but sometimes you just need that break where you don't have to do anything. So first of all, um, I think don't beat yourself up um, uh, about taking little um, shortcuts. Um, but an omelette to me is is a saviour. Um, so how do you keep your kids interested? Um, well, I guess um, for them is is letting them um, experiment and and not be behind them. Um, uh, learning good knife skills is really important. And here's a, a, a really easy tip. Most people hold food like that and they're chopping, chopping, uh, cut myself. Fingers like that, chop, blade down the side of your fingers, thumb back, you can never cut yourself. So getting kids um, uh, a little bit of control, um, a little bit of power, a little bit of education, um, and I think just let them, if they want to put three spices in there and you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to like that, you have to let them do it um, so that they learn. Also another thing which I think is really good, um, if you have certain spices in, in your pantry, um, and I certainly did this with, with my kids, is open the jars or lids or packets or whatever and sniff it so that they know, oh, so that's what cinnamon smells like. And they can really learn what cinnamon sm smells like. And, okay, I'm going to add it to this. Or cinnamon might be right. Maybe um, cumin will be or maybe coriander seeds crushed. So helping them to, to learn a few things about spices, uh, maybe growing their own herbs. Um, I just think constantly educating and helping. Um, yeah, I don't know whether I've really answered your question, but I think it's an ongoing battle. Uh, and they eat like... <laughs> So they have to take some responsibility for um, uh, making something beautiful with canned beans, cannellini beans, drain them, sizzle a little clove of garlic and some extra virgin olive oil. If they like chilli, a few chilli flakes, a bit of lemon zest, put the canned beans in their potato masher, squash them up. If you've saved a bit of the liquid from the cans, you've got a fabulous puree. Spread that on toast, put whatever you like on that, and that will fill them up. It's a huge snack. Got protein. You've got goodness. Yeah. Any other questions? Oh, yeah. One down here. It's from the same couple. This is a bit scary. No, no, we're definitely not a couple. Oh, whoops. but we, <laughs> but we, but we do share a love of food. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> our, our partners I won't are going to think this is very, very, very funny when we get tell the story when we get home. I have a very – my husband and I have a very dear friend. <laughs> not right, him, yes. Yep, yep. Who's 65, doesn't know how to cook, and keeps choosing the wrong woman. Who, who, who is this? No, no. I'm a friend. A friend. I've got a, a close friend. My husband mm. and I have a close friend who's 
is 65 and he's smart and he wants a smart woman but he keeps on getting somebody that he just wants as a slave to cook and clean. Is, so is, the cleaning, is he, is the he clean, rich? Is he good looking? I could be interested. Yeah, well, yes, he is. He is. I wouldn't call him Sorry. good looking. He's just average, I average. suppose. No. And <laughs> yes, okay. he does. Yes, he does have quite a bit of money. But Ooh, all he's okay, okay. All he's attracting is a slave who's smart enough to take his money. So I'm going to Hawaii in a week's time, and I'm going to make a match fit. And I'm going to teach him how to cook mm-hmm. alongside my husband. Yes. Yep. And I'm just thinking about your baked potatoes and your yep. tip about cutting yep. them straight away when they come out of yep. the oven and yep. thinking that your shared kitchen just might be the book for him. But yep. can you give me any tips on how I might improve my success in getting this guy to be match fit? I've always said he needs to marry a nice New Zealand girl, and but anyway, that's probably not going to happen. That's, but that's me out. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So, do you think you want a little repertoire of of recipes that he could master? Because when it's because it can be quite overwhelming. So, is that what you mean? You want like the five or six things that he could rustle up without? too much effort. I think the, the problem is just having confidence in the kitchen, even if it's something very simple, but just mm. having confidence. Yeah. I remember taking my 15-year-old daughter to um, a Ruth Pretty cooking class, and it changed her life. Mm. When, you, when you see something done. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, a good book should actually be able to do some of that um, if you choose a recipe that has a photograph and the, the recipe is, n- is not 10 steps long um, uh, and it's written clearly. Um, yeah, I mean, I know a good book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on that note, uh, sadly, we are at the end of our session. Julie will be signing books straight after the session. Please wear a mask. Her fabulous book, Shared Kitchen, is available from Paper Plus. I highly, highly recommend it. I am loving cooking out of this book. I've always loved cooking Julie's food. The recipes are mouthwateringly good and easy. Uh, Buy one, maybe buy two. Julie has kindly bought some treats with her. So if you buy a book, you'll get a scrumptious cookie. If you buy two, you'll get a Shared Kitchen tea towel. Um, I 100%, also 100% cotton with a little loopy thing. Nice big for your glassware. Oh, that's important for your glassware, for your wineware. Um, I encourage everyone to go uh, to her wonderful website, sharedkitchen.co.nz, and sign up for Julie's delightful weekly newsletter and look forward to a little ray of sunshine and cooking inspiration from Julie every week. Um, finally, if you ask Julie a question, please come to the book signing table for a wee goodie gift. Um, And I'd just like to finish with a quote from one of Julie's cookbooks, actually from Fresh, uh, that to me encapsulated Julie's food philosophy. Food is fuel. It's pleasure. It's passion. It's sharing. It's nourishing and nurturing, all fused together in an orgasmic package. (laughs) Did I write that? You did. It was a long time ago. (laughs) Thank you.
And thank you, Julie. It's been such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you. That was a great conversation from the 2022 Marlborough Book Festival. For more information about the event, head to marlboroughbookfest.co.nz. Thanks for listening.